0: Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the five things podcast, a podcast where we dive deep into five topics from social media and share our takeaways for the week. Before we get into this week's five things, quick little side note from our producer Joey in the booth, we are working on a special gray matter bonus series on the pillars of creativity. So throughout April, check it out on the gray matter feed and wherever you listen to your podcasts. With that, let's dive right in. I'm here with Beth and Amanda. Hi Beth, hi Amanda.
1: Hello. Good
2: morning. Good to have you
0: right. together. We're all back again, the original crew. This week's five things. Facebook denied algorithm issues. LinkedIn teased Clubhouse-like feature. LinkedIn added a creator mode. Fake Twitter users defend Amazon. And AR enabled Snap Spectacles news leaks out into the world with that, let's dive on in. So the first thing is mine actually, which is really exciting. Facebook denied algorithm issues. So this has been a massive topic of conversation. Um, over the last few months and really over the last couple of years, there's been conversation about how the Facebook algorithm has driven people to content that maybe, uh, is not the most accurate content, the most real content. It could be inappropriate content and it has driven people into, uh, you know, not the best of places, so to speak. So what has Facebook announced to try and change that? Um, they're actually re- introducing and releasing an algorithm-free version of Facebook where you can opt in to not have your feed driven by the algorithm, which is really fascinating stuff. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where uh, you the, the feature is not, like, totally baked yet. But it would be the most recent view of the people you follow, and it would be chronologically done. Um, It would include a recently launched favorites thing where it would show the posts from your 30 favorite friends and pages, um, which is kind of interesting. I personally really like the most recent button on, on my feed. I like to see stuff in that sort of chronological order versus what the algorithm serves up. Really, really interesting stuff happening on Facebook uh, I don't know how many brands are publishing day in and day out on Facebook that this is you know very meaningful but the fact that you could put brands or pages you follow in your top 30 uh, could be a very interesting build for us marketers so crew what do we think
1: this is mind-blowing I mean I I love the idea of what will happen when the algorithm isn't kind of curating and influencing our perspective and thoughts um, based off of kind of this hive mind mentality that it can sometimes foster. But I do think as a marketer, it'll also pose some challenges, right? Is how do we get into that top 30 spot? And is that possible? Um, I'm into it though. This is a whole new world.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like people have been asking for this from Facebook and I'm curious if they'll do the same thing with Instagram for a really long time. This is I'm pretty sure how it originally the feed would start. But yeah, to Beth's point, um, as a marketer, you have to start creating content that people are really excited and seek out to, to, to take into their feed. But also keep in mind that you might be next to something that you don't have as much control over. Um, I think what the algorithm feeds us is just as important as what it right now doesn't feed us. So, you know, there's family members from back home and people you you know don't know, but connect with for whatever reason. And all of those opinions and content is going to start being in your feed. And I think there will be an adjustment period where people have to say like, this is how I use Facebook. This is what, these are the friends I want to have. This is the content that I want and create their own algorithms in that way. So I'm curious how the individual algorithm will overtake the, the platform algorithm it, it's exciting though i think this is a good step so far but a journey
0: all right it is a journey and while this journey is an interesting one we must continue on our five things journey because that's what we are here for so beth like everyone else linkedin teasing a clubhouse like feature give us the deets
1: yeah i mean time to jump on that bandwagon right um uh, Who would have known? I mean, I guess you would have, Kenny. I don't know that I would have predicted the rise of these Clubhouse clones. Um, Twitter has one. Facebook's building one. Spotify is making one. Mark Cuban has one. Slack is even talking about it. And now the newest to confirm that they are entering the audio chat room Clubhouse space is LinkedIn. They're saying that theirs will be unique audio experience connected to your professional identity. So I'm guessing that means that it'll be pretty closely tied to your industry, your title, um, and serve more of a professional forum, which was kind of how you know uh, Clubhouse started. So this will be interesting. Not, I guess, too surprising, but linkedin's here for it what do you guys
2: think
0: i think oh go ahead i was you. just gonna
2: say bold of them to call it unique at this point until they tell us how they're innovating the feature i don't think to <laughs> kenny's point it was a huge surprise go ahead can yeah. you hear your thoughts
0: yeah you know i think what the, the big chatter among marketing twitter and in the social media world is that it's less about what Platform perfects social audio, but it's more about the fact that social audio is a part, is like here to stay, and it is something that people want. I think naturally there's a lot of chatter right now that Twitter might buy Clubhouse, which makes a lot of sense. Like Spaces is a really well defined product. And I think having Clubhouse, taking learnings from Clubhouse, it's not so different from buying uh being integrated in. So like I I think it's very fascinating. Um I'm I'm very curious from a professional standpoint what this becomes. Uh you know, just thinking about everything that we're seeing on LinkedIn and, and its role in our ecosystem and how audio can play a very interesting role in all of this. I also wonder if this is the kind of thing where with reduced travel due to COVID, people aren't listening to as many podcasts. So therefore, something like social audio becomes a really nice way uh, to continue having that sort of dialogue without having to rely on, you know, listening occasions like a commute. Uh, and I was so- going to
2: say, oh, I was going to say, Kenny, just like Vine, you know, coming out with short short form video, you know, what, five, 10 years ago, people thinking that's crazy at first, and then every platform adopting short form video in some sense. I do think that there's going to have to be some <clears throat> innovation to this space once we are back to quote normal, because to your point, the use case for podcasts and all the other content that people were consuming before the pandemic and the way, especially the way that Clubhouse is very live programming, like again, you can't go back and listen to it unless someone records it. There will need to be innovation to see which platform like leverages the audio only space the best and creates the best experience. But it's not dissimilar to your point to Vine, you know, a while ago of this isn't necessarily a groundbreaking feature it is something that will be everywhere it's just who does it in the way that the consumers like the best
0: or is it less to do with the channels themselves and the feature itself and more about how creators leverage it i think that's the part that's the most interesting to me so like i'm because it is new we are seeking we we are talking about how the channels are developing it as it evolves, we will talk about how the creators are using it. And that's the pivot. So.
2: I have one more question too. Is is it replacing a lot of the like in office and kind of inner industry conversation that we'd be having if there wasn't a pandemic? Like. I'm curious if all of these conversations would still be happening if we were talking to our colleagues day in and day out, if it's kind of filling this conversation industry void that we're not having. Same with LinkedIn in general. I feel, uh, uh, th- to
0: me, this thing called, like, this whole thing of like, if the pandemic weren't happening n- narrative, which you are hearing a lot, right? It is, we. is, I'm day trading because the pandemic happened. I invested in crypto because the pandemic happened. NFTs are a thing because the pandemic happened. It's like, listen, there's no possibility of an alternate universe. The pandemic happened and is happening. And these are things that are here to stay. It just is what it is.
1: Uh, see, I don't know, though. That's the the piece that I wonder is, is this here to stay? Like, once people do start going back to the office, and even if it's not full time, even because I don't think, I mean, at least in our industry, though, will be full time office doesn't even make sense. But. Will this stay as, like, are there legs to this post-pandemic, even yes, in the new because, world that will be altered because we lived through this experience?
0: Yes, because I think the days of mass convention gathering and people flying and flocking from all over society to go be holed up in one location where we are sitting on top of each other, you know, listening to people talk about our industry, are it, that's going to evolve. And this is a piece of that evolution. Like, it sucks for Austin and Las Vegas and Cannes and all of these places that thrive on guaranteeing themselves, you know, four days a year where millions of dollars flocked in. Like, I could very well see South by Southwest, like, why don't they acquire Clubhouse and turn South by Southwest into an, uh, like an ongoing platform for learning and, and you know, connectivity? Yeah, people like a boondoggle. I totally get it. But because we all like it too. But the beauty of social audio is that we've turned we've turned South by Southwest from a four-day event into an everyday event. And it's just like, will there be burnout? Possibly. This take might be completely wrong and short-sighted. I totally get it. But, like, who knows, right? I think social audio is fascinating and has more legs than any social trend we've seen in a pretty long time.
1: I'm not saying, I mean, I think it has legs. I just don't know if those legs exist for all of these copycat platforms or even the original one. I don't know. We'll see.
0: I could see it working more for LinkedIn than other channels because professional dialogue and like resume workshopping and you know tricks and, and tips for onboarding
2: and the vanity of video necessity sometimes mm-hmm. can feel awkward in those settings like I, yeah. I do think LinkedIn is the place that makes sense and I also think I agree it is what it is right now while we're all where we are but I do think we're going to see it evolve this mm-hmm. year next year 5 years 10 years just like short form video how it's evolved so much over 5 years I think what we're seeing right now is not the way that it will be forever I don't think anyone knows what that future is. Maybe people do. Hopefully, these platforms do, but <laughs> we'll see.
1: I could All see right. it turning into like a music co- collaboration space as well. Just saying, throwing that out. Is, there.
0: is social, you know, everyone used to say podcasts were the future of radio. What if social audio is actually the future of radio? Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Sorry, Joey. We know you love it podcast that we say on the podcast (laughs) podcast on our podcasts um joey 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 um (laughs) uh feeling punchy today all right we're gonna stick on linkedin for a little bit uh amanda tell us about the creator mode that linkedin added
2: all right creator mode that sounds really cool but I'll tell you what it is. It's basically an update to a couple of months ago, I think they added stories format after all the other platforms added it and everyone's like, what the heck do we do with this? Um, So they've recently added what they're calling creator mode, which is supposed to be designed to elevate creators and thought leaders. So I feel like those only live on LinkedIn um, in the platform a little bit more, but here's the thing. Creator mode is really just, I don't want to simplify it, but it's just, Uh, change to the way that your profile shows up on LinkedIn where some hashtags that, you know, describe the content that you make and kind of, you know, um, interact with on the platform, these hashtags of your common themes will show up under your title on LinkedIn. Um, (laughs) It changes the format so that some of your activity is up a little bit higher on your profile than it might have been before creator mode is activated. So, obviously, I'm kind of getting at the fact this is kind of, of ca- a catchy name. You know, we've been talking about the creators on these platforms and how they really are driving each platform forward, supporting the creators and how they make content. Um, and I think this is supposed to be an investment in in how the creators grow on LinkedIn. I just, I don't see how this is going to change the way that people use the platform. I don't see this pushing thought leaders any further in the space. And I think especially LinkedIn needs to personally, I think they need to take a moment and try to understand like what the vision for the platform is. I think when you as a user get on, you're not really sure, are you looking for jobs? Are you, you know, hearing about people's little quips of the day and stories? Are you reading about your industry? Like, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a lack of vision of how this is used and where they want LinkedIn to go. It's an interesting feature. I just think it sounds a little bit bigger than
0: so LinkedIn, so so. I have a take on this. I really like LinkedIn a lot Uh, and not for brand usage. Like I like LinkedIn a lot for personal usage. I enjoy it as a channel and it helps me connect with, you know, if I guest lecture for a college class, I can connect with students who want to learn more about the industry. I can connect with former and current colleagues, people I want to network with. Totally get it. LinkedIn had a firm grasp on the... Professional network space. They started to get squeezed in the last year from the like the indeeds and monsters of the world. They're getting squeezed from one side. But then you look at a place like Twitter, where actually a ton of professional networking is happening, and they're getting squeezed on the other side because creators and professionals are generating leads and connectivity through their Instagram feeds, through their Twitter feeds, through DMing features, through things like Clubhouse, where you're actually listening to people and connecting with them. So they're at a bit of a crossroads with an identity crisis because they're being squeezed from both sides of their value proposition. And it'll be very interesting to see how they stand out. And it's like they cannot win like how Facebook attempts to win by copying and acquiring. Like that's not their thing. So where does it, where do they go?
2: And I'm even going to add one more to that list. It's the social, you know, networking part of it. It's the job search. It's also, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but they did kind of invest in Skillshare in kind of, you know, classes available on the platform. And then you have things like masterclass come up that are way more intuitive, way easier to use. And it's, th- it's again, there are three like parts of their identity that, you know, I don't necessarily think all these platforms are doing it better than LinkedIn, I do think to your point, Kenny, it was just kind of all of these walls caving in at once. And then there was a rise um, with the use of LinkedIn, similar to what we were talking about earlier, is people aren't in the hallways. They're not, you know, did you see this, especially marketing, I think has a two-sided view of it because you're using it as a as a marketer and you're also using it to market your brand. So I think, you know, when people started to use LinkedIn a lot more last year, there was that huge question of like, what is the, what is the goal here? Like, what would we really love to see LinkedIn become? And I'm, and maybe they have that view and and they're working slowly towards it. I just think to your point, they're at like a little bit of a crossroads.
0: Masterclass was just had, just did a raise series and was just valued at 2.5 billion. Like there, it, it is the most fascinating, like the Microsoft acquisition of LinkedIn and like the integration of lynda.com and all of those things that were happening was very revolutionary at the time, but it never took because it wasn't, they're always a step behind, it feels like. I don't know. Beth, what do you think?
1: I mean, I think LinkedIn Learning like has a very different application for Masterclass having done both of them. Like, especially in the analytics space, if you want to like learn to code. You're not going to learn that on Masterclass. One seems a little more macro versus micro. but. I don't know. I, I do have a question, Amanda. With the hashtags, is that your most used hashtags or does LinkedIn assign them based off of the content in your post?
2: They're not quite clear yet. It looks like they okay. are assigned based on the themes that they see. They, it looks like it's algorithmically, like there's an AI piece of it yeah. that says you talk about, you know, design a lot. Hashtag design goes under your um, title or whatever that may be. You t- you're interested in accessibility. That's like another example. So they're not super clear yet until it's launched um, that exactly how those show up, but it does look like there's a little bit of a an AI piece to it that's basically connecting people for them to other people that are interested in the same themes.
1: I mean, I think it's interesting that your profile becomes your content then in a way. Um, I agree with most everything you guys have been saying. I think LinkedIn will be interesting to watch kind of where they go and... As a marketer, I do have very mixed feelings about kind of self-promotion on LinkedIn and it's it's so valuable. I also have done some work for other sites like this and, you know, there's a lot of uh, negative emotions that happen around this kind of creator network and how it makes other people feel, blah, blah, blah.
0: I want to talk about our next item,
1: because this is going to make us
0: feel things too, which is fake Twitter users defending Amazon. And for our listeners at home, fake is in quotation marks. So Beth, tell us about this.
1: This feels like I don't really know what to make of this. Like this is a conspiracy. Um, so fake Twitter users that seem to be kind of bot accounts have been posting about in Amazon's defense over unions and working conditions. Um, So one thing to know before we jump into this is Amazon does have an employee ambassador program where employees get kind of extra perks for talking on social media and posting about the good parts of working at Amazon and kind of... um, sharing positive experiences of working with the company. But there seems to be quite a few accounts that usually start with Amazon FC, um, which is how they identify ambassadors for the company that um, Amazon itself has flagged as being fake. So an Amazon spokesperson specifically said, Many of these are not Amazon FC ambassadors. It appears they are fake accounts that violate Twitter's terms. We've asked Twitter to investigate and take appropriate action. These accounts are talking about how unions are good for some companies, but they're not right for Amazon. So they seem to be defending Amazon. It's all really bizarre. I don't know if it's coming from Amazon or what... Anyone's motive would be to defend Amazon if they are fake accounts.
0: This what has a net, this has a Netflix future documentary written all over it. It's like it, it's going to be something like same day delivery. The story <laughs> of how fake users <laughs> dun dun duh. um Yeah, this wouldn't be the first time that brands have had to deal with you know company like issues with company cheerleaders essentially like uh, this is from buying fans to dealing with sort of you know employee trolls like this is a common thing it's just because it's amazon it's like it's top of mind i don't know amanda you seem like
2: it also comes off the tail end of a lot of conversation around fake accounts, bots, kind of, you know, how does Twitter and Facebook uh, promote these accounts and tweets? But what makes this more confusing is like a lot of these are actual humans. So this isn't even really a social media issue. It's just playing out on social media. Like these are not all of them, but some of them, especially the ones in the ambassador program, are real humans. They filled out the CAPTCHAs. they wrote the tweets themselves, like they're sharing this information. It happens to be on social media. So then that becomes, you know, obviously a Twitter problem. But that's where it's a little bit fuzzy is it's not necessarily, again, I don't know, all. I don't think anyone knows all the answers yet. It's not necessarily an algorithm problem or a fake problem or a bot problem. It's just this, like to Kenny's point, this rise of propaganda happening on the platform. And then the other thing I think is interesting is Amazon itself has a policy where you can't incentivize legally on the platform you can't incentivize positive reviews for products like you can't say if you give me five stars for this product you bought you get 10 percent off so i just this feels like a little bit of a a divisive thought because you really shouldn't be able to incentivize a positive you know employee experience Mm -hmm. and think that it's morally okay so i i also think we know very little to Kenny's point, I'm waiting for the large documentary that's all about the big conspiracy behind it and what was real and what wasn't. This is like a little bit of the tip of the iceberg. And I think that the the proximity to a conversation around fake account and bots through the election and elsewhere is also adding a little bit of fuel to this fire.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm also five episodes into the six episode QAnon miniseries. So I'm like, who's at the heart of this? Who's running this? this jeff Bezos or is it roger stone
2: (laughs) yeah this one is a conspiracy that i'm very intrigued to uh to see
0: yeah i just keep singing murder show murder show i'ma watch a murder show (laughs) (laughs) the snl beauty that was all of our experience here well everyone we are coming in for a landing with our last thing amanda AR-enabled Snap spectacles just leaked. Can we these hear are about Are a
2: lot it? of exciting words. Um, all of our favorite platforms, I feel like Snap is starting their push into hardware. With it's, it's a new model to something they already worked on, which is basically smart glasses. Um, but these have AR capabilities. They have 3D like capture, video capture tools, and some other features that make them a little bit different than you know five years ago when Google came out with Google Glass and everybody was like, "That's cool," but we don't know how to use it. Um, so with Snap investing a lot into their AR and VR over the last several years. They're actually positioning this more as a tool for developers and digital creators to start with. Um, They kind of launched this knowing that creators who make the the filters or the lenses on the um, platform are actually the ones who are not part of Snap, you know, their brands, their agencies, their users and content creators. So this is really positioned to them as what they're calling like an external investment but it does fall into what we've been talking about on the show of investing in the creators. Um, so again, they've been kind of dabbling in this AR space. They've invested in a lot of of patents, um, all the e-com integration that we've been talking about and all these other pieces. So there it, there has been conversation this year about, uh, I think Facebook and Apple both are launching their own AR glasses um, now that AR is coming back and having a little bit of a moment. But really Snap's been kind of in the background, even when you know VR, had its big moment, you know, maybe five years ago, got a little less shiny over a couple of years. And then it's kind of coming back because people are understanding you need a use case. It's not application of VR just to use VR and now AR. It is how are we using it? And Snaps answered that with, you know, focusing this towards the the digital creators and developers and then saying everything else will come out from there on the platform and really come to life. So I think this is super exciting. I don't think it matters if they're the first to launch these glasses or a Facebook or apple does it first i think that snap has such a strong hold and clear uh definition of how they want to use ar that they will just grow so much in the space and create such like a a great experience once it does kind of all come together in their master plan but that's me
0: (laughs) it has never come together google glass spectacles the bose wet uh speaker enabled sunglasses like I just don't know if this is a thing. I don't know if this is a thing. We're not all going to be Iron Man and have <laughs> this like ever-changing computer in front of us that is constantly telling us what's happening around us. We don't need to look at a storefront using AR-enabled spectacles and be able to visualize the menu. We can walk in and visualize the menu with our own eyes. Like I just don't get it. It's just not. I disagree
2: for me. wholeheartedly. That's all I want to say, Beth. I would love to hear your thoughts. I mean,
1: I do think this the AR glasses are like so every sci-fi movie from the '80s. Um, but to your point about use case, Amanda, I think they will take off when there's a true need or something that makes it really exciting to have AR as part of your active walking around life like i could see pokemon go type experience with the glasses driving use cuz that's like fun but if it's just to see ads on the storefront if it's just to see a, like menu or like things pop up in your peripheral yeah that's
2: not i don't know i would beg you guys to think about perhaps a year ago if you thought a ar feature to try on clothes was like more than just like interesting and cool if it was super necessary. And now this year, we're all stuck in our homes. Granted, there's a pandemic, who could have known? But I think that to to echo what you're saying, Beth, is like those use cases start to become interesting. And then they're like, okay, that's kind of a cool way to use it. That's an innovative, easy, accessible way for a consumer to engage with it. And this is a good experience that comes out of it. And I don't think it's going to be this year. I don't think people are going to start wearing glasses for new year's 2022 but over the next five years i do think it will be part of what uh, we thought we didn't need and then is something that we really enjoy into something we do need
0: i this is this is tech for tech's sake this is not built, built out of consumer need i mean i don't think you see i, I don't there consumers aren't clamoring for the opportunity and ability to like Jump but they're the using matrix. Instagram filters.
2: Like, so think of it that way. Like, did we ever need that, Instagram filters? Of, you know. No. Does everyone use an Instagram filter? Yeah. Does it start to become a little bit more intuitive? That's your, yeah. Okay.
0: Please, Amanda. That's the argument for any, like, literally any failed tech under the sun. You could say did we know we needed a blender? No, but we're all using blenders. Like, you could say that for anything if you use that Let's tone. Let's reconnect on this like, in
2: 2026 <laughs> and we'll put $50 on it. And if we're we'll if it, all of us yeah. own smart glasses in 2026, Kenny owes me $20.
0: No, okay. So, th- okay, I've got, this is good. We'll buy a bottle of 20-year-old age scotch for the person who, 20 years from now. That'll be the that's the plan and we you have to have critical mass of ar glasses for to be the winner okay an overwhelming majority of adults in the united states have to be wearing these that's things. a deal okay it's a
2: deal it's, now it's reported and it's in writing forever and beth just rolled her eyes at no i mean
1: i was just <laughs> gonna say something a little bit more practical i guess is like there is a need for it when you think about like ikea being able to drop furniture in your house and see how it fits the problem is it's just such bad technology still right like but it's like that doesn't look like the table's gonna look so how can i trust that that the specs are even right so yeah but why do you need glasses you give the
2: glasses to the people creating the technology and when when snap uh, basically opens its doors and says all of the best developers and creators in the world make the technology better, make the interface better, make the experience better, then you've basically like democratized this technology and you'll see a snowball effect of how much better and higher quality and more value it could add in ways that like don't just exist in Snap's head or any of our three heads.
0: Remember when we all played Nintendo Wii and and interactive gaming was going to be the play. future? I'm moving on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you, Kenny. Yeah. Yeah every every it was like it was like the typical date in 2006 was you pulled out your nintendo wii and you played tennis with each other okay moving on that's the end of this that is the end of this podcast we are are, are closing it out we are done this conversation (laughs) is over um so, with that, if you don't follow us, follow us on Apple and Spotify, because how could you miss this riveting content every week? Um, you, have, you have questions, thoughts, concerns, anything you want us to talk about, we would love to address it. You can email us at podcast.gray.com. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Don't forget the cool Gray Matter additional series. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast in the Gray Matter feed at Joey in the booth, thank you. Amanda and Beth, thank you as always. And don't forget to stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from Post Producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.